This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. And today in the studio with me is our special guest, Kevin Chandler. Kevin is the men's ministry director at the Village Church, as well as a local police officer. Kevin, welcome to the Q&A podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here. And uh, this is Kevin's first time, which is crazy to me because in my head, I don't know why I thought this was like your third, but officially this is actually this your is, first this time is it. in the yep. podcast. So welcome. Glad you're here. This entire week has been devoted to technology and parenting. Parenting. Uh, my wife, Brianne, and I um, were with you on Monday and Wednesday, and uh, we, we talked about numerous aspects of, of kids, technology, and uh, how we as parents can really help form them and shape them. All of this, though, started with um, a parenting night that Kevin, my wife, and our communications director, Haley Versalis, um, uh, offered our church on Monday, October 2nd. And you can go to our Village Church website to download that and and the goal of that night was to launch discussion, getting parents engaged and involved in the really, really weird, difficult world of technology. It's evolving so quickly. So, Kevin, um, two questions for you to start off. Tell us, what do you do? And then answer the following question. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a parent with a junior or senior high high school student. What do I need to know? Yeah, well, uh First off, I, I am a police officer in the local uh, police department here in the Chicago suburbs. And my role is juvenile detective. So uh, what I get to do is be at the local high school as their student resource officer. And I get the privilege of hanging out with high school kids all day long, hearing their ups and downs. Uh, mostly in my position, it's their struggles and uh, helping them navigate through them as they uh, try and figure that, all that out. So one of the biggest things that we deal with, uh, probably over half of what I deal with has to do with technology. And I wasn't quite prepared for that when I started, but we've had to learn uh, both from a law enforcement side and a school side, uh, really what these kids are up to. And so that we can keep on top of it um, and help parents understand that as well. So your question of what do parents need to know? Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen is that parents need to know more Parents are often in the dark, both about what their kids use their phones for and their the capabilities of the phones and apps that they're using. So what I would suggest to parents is to know what apps your kids are using, uh, to know what those apps are capable of, and then to also understand what your kids are doing that they don't want you to know about. Uh, so to start off with that, you know, the apps that the kids are using, uh, most parents are aware of Snapchat and is Snapchat the devil. Uh, it could be the, the debate is out, but it's certainly in, in the running, um, at least the antichrist. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, Snapchat is a, uh, messaging app where you could be either direct message to one person or within a group. Um, and the, Original fun feature with Snapchat was that your messages didn't last forever and they disappeared after a few seconds. And so they they built their brand based on this idea of disappearing content where nothing was permanent and you could say whatever you wanted and no one could really hold you accountable to it because it was gone. Which is a genius marketing model from a sin perspective. It is. And I've, and I've actually heard that Snapchat was built, you know, for the purpose of 
people being able to hide things from others who may may want to know what they're up to. So other than Snapchat, what we look for when we're looking for potentially inappropriate or uh, harmful content is apps that have uh, the ability to, like Snapchat, um, cause things to disappear. I understand that Facebook has been working on that in their direct messaging uh, where their messages would disappear. My rule of thumb is anything that's designed to keep secrets is potentially damaging, especially for kids who don't know how to use them. Because, I mean, there's a bigger principle there, which is we're not meant to live in secret. We're, mo- we're, we're created to live with transparency and integrity. We're created to live in a way that there shouldn't be secret components in my life that, that my mom and dad or authorities in my life can't see. Exactly. And these apps are created just for that purpose. And so they come in, in various forms. Uh, most parents, if they saw the app called Photo Vault on their kid's phone, Uh, know that, well, that's a place where kids can probably keep photos. And it is, and there are uh, numerous, uh, really too many to count, versions of photo vaults, which are apps designed to password protect images, videos, other content, so that anyone who may have the phone, like a parent who may be trying to be on top of their kid's phone, they might miss those things. And the kids know that, and the kids use these things. If I am uh, you, right, and I find a kid's phone, I'm curious. I'm, I think there might be something on the phone. And I find a photo vault, but it's password protected. Are, are they required to give you that password? Well, it, as a child, there's really no legal right to privacy when it comes to the phone that especially the parents pay for. Uh, if you're a parent and you pay for your child's phone or your child lives in your house, the expectation is that you have access to pretty much anything that they're doing. Uh, Think of it like a diary that your kid may be keeping. You think there may be something going on with their life. You may feel uneasy digging through their personal business, but really their business is your business. You are responsible for them. You are doing your best to train them and teach them to be wise, make good choices, and to be healthy. Often kids can't do that, uh, especially hormonal teenagers. Uh, when, it, when it comes to sexual temptations as well, they're, they're investigating that. And these apps are designed to allow them to do that in secret. And so the expectation in every home should be that if a child has a device, parents have full access to it. This is a big like win right here because um, I think like 10 different times in the podcast, we've basically said, if your kid has content on a phone or a device that you don't have access to, you're already losing a huge battle like in your home. Oh, yeah. it, there, there should be no such thing as as that kind of digital privacy with an adolescent who is not equipped to handle privacy, like that level of privacy or that level of unrestricted access to an entire dark, dark world. And uh, so many parents, this is what we dealt with on Wednesday, uh, they've lost the battle and they're trying to get it back. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a really, really hard thing. But I, I love what you're saying because it's just ringing the same bell. Like we have to, as young as we can get them, have control and authority because we are responsible for them. Right. And we've talked about this, you know, you and I have many times oh, before gosh, yeah. and I completely agree on that account. We so. will control our children's lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will never rebel. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Amen. So with that in mind, you know, parents need to understand that These apps can hide content, and these kids are using them for that. One of the tricks that these apps play is to conceal themselves as something else. So you may see an app called Calculator Plus or um, versions of a calculator that 
or in addition to the default calculator on your child's phone. And you may think your kid's just a math whiz and really wants to study up for the ACT, but Probably in not. reality, what these are, <laughs> they are functional calculators, but what they are designed to do is have a password where you type in a series of numbers and then hit an equals or percent key. And then it takes you into a whole nother world where there's not only an unrestricted browser, uh, there are photo albums and video albums that they can create where they can hide all sorts of pictures. Um, one thing that, you know, going back to Snapchat as well, is that Snapchat has this feature built into it. Uh, it's a function called My Eyes Only, and it only exists if you set it up. So if you are looking through your child's phone and you go into Snapchat and you see by the memories where uh, it'll have your former snaps and your camera roll, there'll be a little line that says My Eyes Only. If that is there, your child has set that up and you have to create a password in order to do that. Um, so that's definitely something you want to look into and make sure you're understanding of what that password is and what they're keeping in there mm. um, because often it's pretty inappropriate stuff. Mm. So we've talked about some different apps and it's hard because there's so many secret apps. There's so many vault apps, right? There and, are way too, way too yeah. many to, to mention in this podcast. And, uh, you know, that we haven't even gotten into the whole messaging app genre because there are so many different direct messaging apps that allow you to be anonymous yep. that give your location away and, and pose other dangers for kids. But really the primary thing that we're seeing um, has to do with them creating uh, inappropriate content, which gets into this realm of sexting that you may have heard of. And it's kind of a buzzword now. Parents are trying to get on top of this and figure this out. So that's something that we've had to do as well from mm -hmm. the law enforcement standpoint. So, if, if I'm a parent, right, and my kid is accessing some of this more like sinister dark stuff, uh, it seems logical and rational to me that if I go into their most used apps or their most recently used apps, that likely, um, I think even right now with the new iOS 11, um, I think it's eight or 10 apps. They're, they're your most recent apps that come up. You can actually look and see what are the most used apps, most recent apps. And that'll probably give you a clue. Like if you see a calculator in their most used apps or their most recent apps, well, maybe something's up, you know? Absolutely. And there are... There are millions of apps, but most people's phones don't have millions of apps. Uh, a lot of kids will have maybe 40, 50, 60 apps. And if you take the phone once a week uh, and you start looking at their apps and say, what new apps are on there? And all it takes is for you to look on your phone, look up the name of the app and see what it does. And Am I wrong? I mean, that's... No, the easiest way to do that, especially on an iOS device, is to go look at the purchased apps. Yep. Uh, look in your updates section. And there'll be a list of apps that have been purchased and you can go in there and see if there's something you don't recognize, ask the questions, investigate that app. There's a wonderful site out there called commonsensemedia.org and they have reviews for parents on pretty much any app out there and they will give you the insight as to what the app is used for what it can be used for and how to navigate it so that you can be on top of those things. That's awesome. I think for some parents, it feels like rocket science and it's actually not. If you can resolve half the problems you have to deal with at work, you can resolve this. You can figure this stuff out. I think the real issue for most parents is regaining the authority in their home to actually get their children's content. And again, Brianna and I dealt with that you know, on Wednesday. So let's shift gears because there's one huge question that if I'm a parent that I have, oh wait, I am a parent. Uh, what are kids typically trying to hide? Can you just give me some big categories? What are the things that my kids are not going to want me to see on their phone? 
Well, we touched on the big one a little bit ago, and that's the world of sexting. So, Can for you break those that who, world down, please, because yeah. I know you have a different engagement with this world as a an officer in the school. Yeah, and this is something that kind of took. We, I, you know, I knew it existed uh, when I came into the high school. I just didn't know the depth to which it existed. So, for those who aren't aware, let's just define sexting. Sexting is when one person sends a sexually explicit digital image to someone else. And usually that's in the form of a picture or a video of that person. Who does this? Well, research is all over the board, but generally it's agreed that uh, the most recent stats will tell us that about 60% of teenagers will have received a message like this. And about 40% of them will have sent one out. Okay. So the great lie that every parent tells themselves, my kid would never do that. Okay. Well, apparently. 40% of you are wrong. Okay, so 40% of them are willing to sext. How much more are willing to do lesser things, but still dark secret things, right? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, that's a scary thought. <laughs> there's, there's a lot there. 40% so are willing to go say, there. I would say this. <laughs> um, from my experience, there is little discrepancy among race, religion, socioeconomic status as to who participates in this. And most of the time, parents will come in and say, I can't believe my kid would do this. I search my kid's phone. I'm on top of things. I know what they do. They talk to me. And then they will have no idea that this was a part of their kid's life. Um, so it's an issue across the board. What you just said is like the scariest thing for most parents to hear. Like, what are they doing wrong that they're not getting it? Are the kids just really good liars? Um, are they compartmentalizing, bifurcating their lives? Like, you think of like a typical porn addict, you know, it's like 0.01% of their day, um, but they are two completely different people. There's that person, and then there's the person that is the rest of their life, and they're not even thinking about it. You know, is it like that kind of thing? Right. Well, you know, that gets into the question of why they do it. There's a an ease of access issue here that's the kids are having the capability to do this at the, with a few clicks. I mean, it's it takes almost no effort. Parents growing up, we didn't have that capability of... It took guts to go get porn. And some effort. Now it's three clicks away and these kids can see just about anything they can imagine. Mm. Why do they do this? Well, my experience gives me a couple of reasons. First, this generation of teens, like particularly boys, has grown up in a culture saturated with various depictions of sex where... Like we said, within a few seconds, they can see whatever they want to see. Yep. On Wednesday, Brianne shared a story. I think it was Wednesday. Sometime this week, she shared a story in the podcast that there's one girl that she works with. And she shared it Monday night that um, at the at the tech night with the parents that uh, there's this one girl that she works with. And she has um, never given a guy her phone number and not had that guy ask her for a sex pick. Yeah. Make it pick. Yeah. And like so, never. so in parents high school, say, like, like, how is what? this possible? All of them? Like, with no shame? Yes. <laughs> so, how is this possible, right? Well, you, you take the sex saturation of boys right now, and what happens is that their minds become de desensitized to the visual depiction of a nude female. Mm. And what happens then, it forces these teenage girls to compete with pornography to get these boys' attention. The girls often find themselves believing that the only way to get a boy to notice them is to take their clothes off. Because it might be. Because it in in the end, it actually is the only way sometimes to get these boys to notice them. So they take a picture and send it out, which, of course, the technology we have is so easy to do, right? Mm. So then in the context of a romantic relationship, let's say we have a teenage couple madly in love and they're exploring, you know, what that means and... 
there's this perception that sexting is less risky than physical sexual behavior. Which you won't get an STD from it, but you can have exactly. infinitely worse. So in a way, yes, it's thing. less risky to yeah. my physical health as far as that goes. But they don't take into account the social and emotional toll that it can take. Uh, so what's happening is that this is true among teens from all religious backgrounds. For teens that are in the church, this is especially concerning, I would say, because what they're being taught in their homes and churches tends to be abstinence from sex rather than being given a vision for healthy sexuality as God's designed it. Which the two, by the way, let's just be really clear, are completely, completely, completely different. different. Yes. Because absence of sex gives you no categories to deal with the profound beauty and strength of a young man or woman's sexuality and sexual drive. Right, and there there will be no heart desire to follow through with that as in the course of their totally dating relationship. Yeah. So without vision of sexuality or kids perish. Absolutely. That? Yeah. And many are being told to save sex for marriage because that's what God desires. But it, even though that's true, they don't have the trusted adults speaking into their hearts and helping them understand this issue beyond the do's and don'ts. And that's what I would encourage parents is have those conversations. And we talked about, you know, what if about the parent who says it's too late for my kid, they're already 16, they already have are set in their ways. How am I supposed to break into that? Well, it, you're fighting for your child's life here, yep. and it's worth it. So certainly for the parents of younger children who are just being introduced to technology, it starts now and have those conversations early on before they even get the screens. Yep. I think there's a, a huge uh, just encouragement for parents who, if you're at a place with your kid where you have lost control, having a Christian counselor who loves the Lord who can advocate for you as a parent and not just feed your kids' whims uh, could be one of the actually most beneficial things for you. I, this is like partially what my wife does a lot is she meets with parents and kids and she helps the kids and parents get to a place where the kids are functioning more healthily in these issues and giving parents tools. And sometimes parents just need a third party. Pastors can do this. That's counselors can do this, you know, and and I think a lot of times parents are like, oh, we need to, you know, we need to get counseling. And, and some older people, counseling is such a stigma, but sometimes they just function as an advocate for you. And uh, if you find some really good resources, it can be life-changing for your for your family. But like the point is, if you've lost the battle, we'll figure out how to win it because what's at stake is your kids and their future and their health. And you're responsible. Exactly. And if you're a parent who tries that and says, you know what, we're going to change a few rules here and we're going to restrict a couple things. If your child goes crazy at that idea, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And that should be a big red flag yeah. saying, let me hmm. see your phone. No. Right. What are you hiding? <laughs> so, you know, for parents, please make sure you know the passwords to your kids' phones and understand what their social media accounts uh, can do, which ones they use, even the ones that may be buried in their phones a few folders deep. That's probably the one that they're using the most. Yep. So we've talked about some apps to look for, methods to do that, the capacity of those apps. High radar would be uh, messenger apps, Snapchats, vaults, stuff like that. Look in your kids' most recently used apps, go through their purchase history. Uh, if you really need help, find somebody, find a dude in their 20s um, who is a little bit older and more mature, and they could probably come alongside of you and give you some tips You know, with your kid's phone. We've talked about the possibility of counseling. We've talked about um, this frontier of what your kids are trying to hide, which often that would be sexting. It would be, uh, I think, probably relationships with boys or girls that that they don't want their parents to know yep. about. That's a whole nother level of, they're going to probably not use a text messaging app by and large. Is right. that a fair statement? Yeah, and other forms of risky behavior, whether it's drug use, drinking, yep. all the stuff that 
growing up, we didn't know how to hide other than yeah. just hoping our parents didn't find out about things. Kids will talk about the things and they always mm -hmm. talk about it. Yep. It's almost always going to be digital too. That's the irony of all of this. And one of the key things for the kids to understand is that everything they do on their phones is permanent. Mm -hmm. I know we've addressed this before on the podcast, but... Can't say too many times. Exactly. Might be the first time a parent listens. Exactly. You know? Once it's there, it never goes away. And the kids who send these pictures out of themselves, you do not know. You lose complete control over what happens to that image, even if you think it's going to someone you trust. Mm -hmm. All right, let's... Let's uh, get ready to close this. I want you to talk about one final like aspect here. And that is, uh, I'm an 18-year-old high school kid, and a 16-year-old girl sends me a naked picture of herself. And let's say I'm a part of this game where um, I collect these, and I put them in my vault, and I have 45 pictures of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old girls. Which right? is not unusual. Which is not unusual. So tell me about how you as a police officer navigate that. Because at some point, it becomes child pornography. At some point, this becomes something that is going to weigh this kid's life down forever. He thinks it's obviously somewhat innocent. He's playing a game. It's whatever. But talk to me about that just from a police officer's perspective. Yeah, well, it's been quite the ride. Uh, the laws are tr still trying to catch up to this trend. Um, and really, in Illinois, we don't have great laws yet um, to deal with this. So, you know, in where I work, we're dealing with it more at the local level. The last thing we want to do is ruin a kid's life by charging them with something like child pornography. We save that for the more extreme cases, especially with very young victims who are unwilling. And But for the, for the teens who are willing participants in this kind of behavior, uh, we really do take an educational approach to it. Yes, there are consequences, and sometimes they're criminal. But more often, we want to work with them, work with the parents. Certainly, we want to do our best to make sure those images are completely eradicated as best we can. We know that that's impossible to guarantee. But we'll do our best to make sure those images are gone. Uh, usually that means confiscating the phone for some time, wiping phones, and really digging into how many people may have had access to those things. And then really it's working with the parents to say, here's how you can set up your kid for success. And working with the kids in understanding, you know, this is more of an issue of the heart here. And you know, what's at stake if this behavior were to continue. Do you ever contact the girls that are doing this in their families? Oh, yeah. We talk to both sides. And really, both sides are complicit in the behavior. They're both legally responsible, assuming that someone is knowingly taking a picture of themselves and sending it to somebody. So just because a, a boy may have an image of a girl, that girl was responsible in taking that image and sending it yep. to that boy. And so we have to have the conversation on both sides. And more often than I would have liked, had to make the phone call to parents and saying, we have to talk because this is what we found. And it's devastating to a lot of parents. It's shocking how normal it is for the kids and how easily they talk about it. But that also provides us an opportunity to just be real with them and to say, look, this is, this is what can happen if this continues. Uh, we get this is normal for your generation, but here's some things to think about that your emotional teenage brain may not think about before you make that choice. I keep having more questions. So I said that was the last one, but it's not. I have one more. Sure. Can I, as a Christian, given the state of the public school, high school that you work in, if I live in that city, can I send my Christian son or daughter to that school and win? I think so. Christians, we are always battling uh, in a world that's fighting against us. Battle is against our own hearts, our, our flesh, right? And we are trying to overcome 
uh, our flesh. And we do that through through the Holy Spirit and God living in us. And so your child, who's a believer uh, in God, has that power to overcome this and to not give in to what society is saying is normal and okay. Is it difficult? Yes, it's challenging. But all the more reason as parents, we need to start those conversations early. So the conversations about what is right and good and holy are more normal than what everyone else around them is doing. Someone's going to cast a vision for your son's sexual future, your daughter's sexual future. It's going to be culture or it's going to be a Christian family. And um, and we got to just really pray and work on not casting a negative vision, a don't vision, but a really beautiful vision of what God has created and creating cultures around our family where sex is not taboo. We have that, That's actually just not even an option anymore in, right. in Christian homes. It's yep. so because of what is happening outside of our homes that it has to be something that is uh, discussed and not a shameful thing, not a weird thing. And, and unfortunately, like you have some moms and dads who they just, they can barely talk about it. Ah, you know, well, get over yourself because the cost of not doing it is to leave your son or daughter without a vision that is from God. And they want vision. There are two sides offering them something. One side offers temporary pleasures with long-term pain. The other offers um, actually temporary peace with long-term pleasure, you know? Yeah. And sometimes they, they don't frame it like that. And we have to be able to frame the vision uh, for sexuality um, in ways that actually speak to the hearts and the minds of our kids. What's crazy is that it's actually not that, that hard to frame the vision because there's so much catastrophe all around oh, them on yeah. a sexual, emotional, relational level. left and right. Absolutely. And so with a little bit of help, we can cast some really compelling vision for their sexual future um, and also give them some pretty compelling reasons why not to give into the world's narrative because it literally just does steal, kill, and destroy. And that's everywhere. That's really, really apparent. But I think you hit the nail on the head. If the kid has the Holy Spirit and you're engaged, uh, powerful, awesome things can happen. And your kid will stick out like a sore thumb. But that's a good thing because they should be anyways yes. if they're going to be a follower of Christ. That's so they just need to get to. used to being Absolutely. different. You know, that's what we do. Well, Kevin, uh, first of all, I love you. Second of all, I'm so grateful you're here. Every time you talk about this, my um, I'm so interested because I want to just protect my kids and other kids. And at the same time, I'm like, man, this is such a weird world. Like we know how dark it is out there to a degree. Um, but I think sometimes we forget what is actually being accessed and happening on just a really personal level with kids who have no idea what they're doing. Yep. Developmentally, biologically, hormonally, they're not at a place to make great decisions. Um, even just the risk limiters of their brain have not been developed yet. And so they're just taking larger risks than a wise person normally would. And um, so I love the I love the fact that you have this experience that you can help people with it. And uh, so here's what I want to do. Uh, if you are listening and you've got more questions, um, Kevin, I'd love to have you back in a few weeks. I want to invite our listeners, submit really detailed questions. Anything you have for Kevin, anything you have on tech, on apps, on school, on the police, you name it. Uh, if it has anything to do with what we're talking about today, uh, turn those in and uh, we'll have you back and we'll um, go after a bunch more questions. Sound good? I look forward to it. Awesome. All right, uh, Villa Church, we will see you on Monday. And Pastor Tim is going to be back with us. And we are going to be talking about divorce and remarriage. Can I divorce for emotional abuse? What about physical abuse? Join us next week. We're going to have an awesome time. Mm-hmm.